Last week, we were reminded that 75 years ago, at great risk and cost and effort, British and American and Canadian soldiers landed on the beaches of Normandy. Why? Was it worth the risk and the cost and the effort? Couldn't they have left it to the Russians, who were already winning on the Eastern Front, or to the Allied army making its way up through Italy already? Or to the RAF bombing German cities into obliteration? Couldn't they have just left it to that and not taken the risk, the cost and the effort of landing all those soldiers on the beaches? No, they couldn't. But those other things weren't good enough. The leaders understood the times and knew what the Allies must do. And you need that in a war. And so did David as we've been hearing for the last quite a few weeks, his army included people described in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32 in this way, the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And we need that too, because we're in a war, a spiritual war, a war that this world depends on, and we need people who understand the times and know what the church should do. And so tonight we consider, we're continuing our series on knowing the times, understanding the times and knowing what the church should do. And we've got quite a different one this evening. And it goes like this. What are Christians known for today? What are we known for? I reckon we're known for being against things. That's a fair bit of what we're known for, if we're honest. In our society, we're, being, we're known for being against most new things that come al- along. So it's well known that Christians are against same-sex marriage, and Christians are against abortion, and there's nothing wrong with being known for being against them. But we're generally known for being negative. We're against things. One of our needs of our time is Christians to not just be people who say no but people who show a better way. Christians to be known as people who don't just apologetically or even stridently say no, but people who confidently and positively show a better way. So tonight I want to encourage us to confidently show a better way. And we're doing it in two halves. This is on your notice sheet, and that will probably help you to follow, because it's all topical this evening. There's a danger if we do this too often, instead of going through a passage, but we are doing it this evening. It's topical rather than the passage. Give, first of all, the biblical case that we should show a better way, and then think what this means in practice, how we can show a better way. So first of all, that we should show a better way. Now, we live in a society where the people who have influence and the people who set the tone of our society, they're giving a message that is not the Bible's. But we're not the first people that's happened to. Because Jesus came into a society where the people who had influence and the people who set the tone of that society were called the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and their way was not the Bible's. And what did Jesus do? Well, he denounced them and he showed they were wrong. You see, it's not always a bad idea to be negative. Sometimes you have to be. Sometimes it's Christ-like to denounce and be negative. But he didn't just do that. He showed a better way. 
That's why we read Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Because there, well, it's one of the many places you could look to, but it's the best place you could look to to see Jesus setting out the values of his kingdom. And in that Sermon on the Mount, he purposely put the values of his kingdom in contrast to the influencers, the big people of his day. They said riches showed God's blessing, but he came with the good news of blessing for poor people. They said, as long as you don't murder, you're okay. He showed a better way that restrains anger and harsh words. They prayed so our people would look up to them and think, how good you are. He showed a better way of praying to be heard by a father who cares for us. They stored up treasure on earth and thought, that's the sign that God's blessed us. He showed a better way of storing up treasure in heaven. Not that he was only concerned with the next life in heaven. No, he also showed a better way of living here and now. A way of not worrying about clothes and food, but seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And on we could go, beyond the Sermon on the Mount, through his Gospels and find Jesus, yes, he denounces. Yes, he shows up what's wrong, but he then shows a better way. And am I allowed to say that Jesus was following others? Well, he sort of was following others. Of course, though, he was the one who set the message in the first place. He was being like the prophets. The prophets who went to a society that needed a better way, a society turning from God to idols, and said things like this. I'll read you a verse from Isaiah, the greatest of the prophets. Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. It's saying, here's a better way. You're buying food that doesn't satisfy. You're You're buying drink that doesn't refresh. Here I have something better for you. And the prophets didn't just assert it, they gave reasons for it. They said, look what the Lord has done for you. Remember how he rescued you. Listen to the plan he's still got. It's not all past. He's got a plan yet to come for a Messiah who is worth following. Now, compare that with those idols. What have they done for you? What can they do for you? You see that that big chunk of your Bible we saw the other week, what a big chunk of the Bible the prophets are, is about showing a better way. We read Proverbs 3 for a similar reason. I thought it's good to read Proverbs full of practicalities, but we also read it for this reason. Here's a father giving wise counsel to his son, and it's nearly all about showing a better way. Here's a father whose son is in danger of going along with bad friends, and the father can see what a pain, what, what trouble he's going to get himself into. And he doesn't just ground him so he can't go with the bad friends. No, he teaches him a better way, a better company. Here's a son who's in danger of being seduced by immoral women. 
And the Father doesn't just put internet filters on, although that would be a good thing. No, he shows him a better way. Here's a son who's in danger of pride. And the Father doesn't just berate him, he shows him a better way. That's what was going on in Proverbs 3 that we read earlier. And Proverbs is particularly relevant to us because it doesn't just generally say, look, God's way is better. Go with it. It's specific and it's practical about how to live. It takes work and leisure time and appetites and what do you do with your money and how to be a good citizen. And it says, look, in each way, look. And it doesn't just say, it shows. Here's a better way. And that's a model to us, because our society, for some strange reason, is less interested in, is it true, and more interested in, does it work? Now, we must insist that truth matters, we don't let them set the agenda, but we can also show this works, God's way is best. Well, then we've had from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, from the prophets, from the Proverbs, the Bible spends time showing a better way. Yes, it does say no, but it doesn't just say no. We should show a better way. Let's now have a second half. We can show a better way. Let's get some examples of how we can show a better way. We can show a better way because we have a better guide on the issues of life. Let's think about some of the big issues in our society. I'm not claiming that I'm going to cover all of them. Obviously, that would be an impossible claim. Let's think of some of the big issues in our society. What issue is our society most obsessed with? What appears on all the magazine covers, on the television programmes, on the films? What's used to sell things from cars to cosmetics? You've probably got a sinking feeling in your heart because you know the answer, don't you? Yes, it's sex. And our society says it's a big deal. It's everywhere. It's worshipped. You must have it. But our society also says, it's no big deal. Come, you don't need to wait for marriage. It's just a recreational activity. What are you making such a fuss about? And the result is, broken relationships, hurt people, sexually transmitted diseases, abortions, an awful lot of trouble. Do we have a better way? Do we just say no? No, that's wrong. No, no, no. No, we show we have a better way. God's way is so much better. What does God say? This is a gift from God. Not the only gift, and therefore not the essential gift, but a gift, and a gift to be used carefully. A gift to be used his way. And his way is within marriage. And marriage is a lifelong commitment. So the vulnerability of sex, and it is a vulnerable thing, is protected by love and security and not worrying how you compare with others. And a stable relationship for any children to be conceived in. And it's an emotional bond, not just a recreational activity. Now, if people kept to that, wouldn't that save an awful lot of hurt and trouble? I don't understand why why people are embarrassed or apologetic about Christian sexual ethics when we have such a better way. Let's take another issue. What's brought parts of London to a standstill recently? 
On what issue have politicians listened to a schoolgirl and applauded her? I can only think of one issue that that's happened on, and it's the environment. People care about the future of our planet. Well, at least some do, quite a lot do. And about animals going extinct. Why? If, if actually we're just the result of a process of extinction, so they claim. Why if we live in a planet that has no significance in the universe? Why bother about it? Why not just let's spend our money and fly our aeroplanes and who cares? We have a better way. What does the Bible tell us? Don't give in to fear. God is in control. This world isn't going to end in environmental catastrophe. It is going to be renewed by the Lord Jesus. But the Bible also says, don't turn that into carelessness. Because what do you read in Genesis 1 and 2? Why were Adam and Eve put on this world? To care for it. This isn't a minor issue, it's the role of humans there in Genesis 1 and 2. Put there to care for it. Oh, is that just before the fall? Now we don't, oh, now the need for it is so much more. Our fallen greed has magnified the need for that. We are stewards of this world with all its species, which are displays of God's glory. You see, on the issues that matter to our world, they don't even have a reason for them. We have a better way. Let's take one more of these issues that we have a better guide for. Valuing people. I was in a primary school assembly, not very far from here, and the head said, we are a school where we value everyone. We value everyone because everyone's good at something. Now, what do you think of that? Sounds nice, doesn't it? Sounds a million miles from nasty eugenics and so so on. But what about people who don't seem to be good at anything? Valueless, throw them on the scrap heap? What about who decides what things... Who decides whether you're good enough at them? Who decides what things are worthwhile being good at? You see, schools teach, I'm glad they teach we value everyone. I hope they continue to teach we value everyone. But they can't teach a reason for it. We have a better way. Every human, however able or disabled, however rich or poor, however educated or not, however influential or obscure, whether in the womb or outside the womb, is the image of God. And that's reason to value everyone including people we disagree with and people we morally object to and people we, to be honest, dislike. It's still reason to value everyone. You see, we have a better way our society needs. Now, I expect some of you are thinking, in fact, I half hope some of you are thinking, yeah, yeah, we have a better way. It's called the gospel. Why aren't you talking about that? I sort of half hope some of you are thinking thinking that. And I will talk about that. But these things are worth talking about too. Because people, especially young people, face these issues and need to hear the Bible isn't silent on them. The Bible shows a better way. Even on what the world regards as its issues, and these backward Christians, they have nothing to say on it. The world is confused. The Bible is coherent. We have a better way. 
Well, I'd love to talk about many other issues that we have a better way on, that our society is obsessed with, but let's move on to something else. We've got a better aim, a better aim. Now, when I left teaching to train for the ministry, uh, some of my relatives, and and all of my wider family are unbelievers, some of my my relatives said, uh, trying to be polite, they said, that's good, because you're being free to follow your route to happiness. You're not feeling constrained by other people's expectations. You're feeling free to follow your route to happiness. That's what our society thinks, isn't it? That is the aim. The aim is your personal happiness. And you must be free to follow your choice of whatever that happiness means to you. Unlike nasty Christianity that miserably restricts you. That's the aim. Your happiness and be free to follow whichever way you choose to get that happiness. But the result isn't people free and happy. The result is people turned in on themselves. The result is people grasping and greedy. The result is people richer than before, but but more discontent and anxious than before. Anxious because I might miss that happiness. I might make the wrong choice. When the aim is I must achieve happiness for myself, I must work out which of all these choices will make me happiness. It's not surprising. We live in a society full of mental health problems. Now, listen carefully. I am not saying that all mental health problems come from this turned inward attitude. I am not saying that. That would be completely wrong. But I am saying, when people are taught the aim of life is all about you, And your happiness is not surprising. It's causing so many mental health problems. The Bible gives us a far better way. It tells us the aim isn't you. And the aim isn't your happiness. The aim is God's glory. And it says, you're not here for self, but you're here to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. But because God made us for this, and so he made us to be turned outwards people, not turned inwards, the result is joy and true happiness. It turns out that contentment and freedom from anxiety come from not grasping to get our choices, but resting content in what God chooses for us. We've got a better way when it comes to an aim in life. Let's move on to another example, a better vision. I heard a youth worker in Luton say, young people and millennials want something big to live for. I don't know if she's right. I'm not even completely clear what a millennial is. But anyway, she knows these people. She says they want something big to live for, not just join the rat race and get some money and a comfortable retirement. What does the world offer them? Maybe they can get involved in a charitable campaign. Maybe they can get involved in a political cause. Maybe they could work for the United Nations. Well, all of those have got some good in them. But it's limited because they don't get to the heart of the problem, which is the human heart. What vision do we have? Here's a better vision. There was a little group of people and they had a message called the Gospel. A message with power to change people. Change hearts. A message that, like dominoes knocking down one after the other, changed heart after heart after heart until it spread around the world. And today it is around the globe. 
And it's brought transformation that charitable campaigns and political organisations can't. It's changed lives and it's brought love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control that this world needs. And it's continuing to spread. And one day the man at the centre of that message, the king of this kingdom, Jesus, will come back. And then there'll be no need for charities or political campaigns or the UN because he'll remake the world with all the greed and grasping and the sin and spoiling stripped out. We have a better vision than any political campaign or charitable cause. We've got what the world needs. But the best one till last. Above all, we have this. What have we got that's better? Above all, we have a better person. Now, who will be our next Prime Minister? Yeah, who will be our next Prime Minister? Will he be able to sort out the mess? I said he because the she's seem to be down the pecking order, don't they? They're getting lower ratings from the bookmakers whether they'll become the next PM. Now, the smiles on your face are sort of typical of most of our society. We're pretty sceptical about politicians these days. But still, we look for a person to pin our hopes on. Whether it is a leader who's going to sort out the mess, or an example to copy, or simply a companion to love. We're still looking for a person. And we have a leader who leads us as a shepherd, leads his sheep, and even laid down his life for the sheep. And now he's the king on the throne. And we have an example who, if you follow him, well, you'll be remarkably loving. And we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother, who'll never let you down, who's worth loving, who's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. People are still looking for someone they can rely on. Someone who won't let them down. And whoever they find, we have better. Who are you going to be mixing with this week? Maybe people at work. Maybe say hello to the neighbours. Maybe people in your family. Well, whoever they look up to, whoever they rely on, you've got a better person. We have a better way. Why am I saying this? Well, because of this, why, given all that, are we sometimes apologetic and defensive and on the back foot? Why is it sometimes we keep quiet when today's hot issues come up and feel a little embarrassed? That, well, that's the world's domain. We can talk about eternity, but these things here and now, well, well, well we can only say no on those. Why do, are we sometimes willing to talk about going to church and Christianity as if it's an it, but a little embarrassed to talk about Jesus, the person. Uh, I have mentioned prime ministers. I'm going to mention a politician. Am I allowed to mention Jacob Rees-Mogg? <laughs> well, I'm going to mention him. He was on TV a little while ago, and he was asked about same-sex marriage and abortion. And he said he was against them both. Well, that's good and brave, but then he spoilt it. Because he sounded so apologetic. He said, well, I'm sorry, but 
This is the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And I'm sorry, but that's what I hold to. And he rather spoilt it by sounding so apologetic. As if, well, it's the teaching, but I wish it wasn't. Fellow Christian, I hope we never sound like that. We've got reason to be confident. We should be on the front foot. Because this is God's world, and his way works... And we have something better to tell the world than anyone else does on the practicalities of life and above all on the person they need. We have a better way. The world needs Christians who are confident they have a better way and know how to show this better way and are not going to keep quiet about it. One last thing, very brief thing. Who, who are you going to show this better way to? Let's pray.